Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. My name is Drew, and uh, I'm the worship pastor. Hi. <laughs> Good to see you. I don't like attention, so let's... Uh, I am excited to be able to share with you and continue in our series for the summer called Galatians Keep in Step, and we're going through the entire book of Galatians, and uh, if you've missed a few Sundays, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to get caught up. Uh, Pastor Noah had an amazing message last weekend, and uh, I think you will be very blessed, and it's very beneficial for us as a body to be on the same page. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this morning... We're getting close to afternoon, but not quite yet. It's still morning. We're going through Galatians 3.15 through 29. And if you, I I just want to give you a phrase, a couple lines. If you end up falling asleep while I'm speaking, or you get into like a Facebook comment war with somebody, or Twitter, whatever your preferred platform is, um, it's this. The inheritance of the believer is the spirit. And the Spirit produces unity in family, and that produces blessing. I'm going to say it one more time. The inheritance of the believer is the Spirit. And the Spirit produces unity, and it produces family, and out of that produces blessing. Amen? So let's read Galatians 3, 15 through 29. It's a lot. We'll have it up on the screens. Stay with me. Buckle in. Lots of words. Here we go. We're starting in verse 15, going all the way through 29. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Amen. There's still more. Wait. Now, before faith came, we were held under the law. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen? I'm going to tell you a joke, okay? And I want to apologize ahead of time about it. This is like the, this is the, the dad joke of preaching jokes, okay? So you may have heard it before. I know I've heard Pastor Doug at least one time. I've heard several other pastors. I think I've heard Dominic Flores tell this joke. Where there is right there. The, king, the king of dad jokes. But it goes like this. Uh, once I saw this guy, it illustrates where we're going. Okay, so I promise it's not random. It just it illustrates where we're going really well. So it goes like this. Once I, I saw this guy on a bridge, and he was about to jump, and I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And I said, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? And he said, a Christian. And I said, me too. And he said, Protestant or Catholic? And he said, you know where this is going already. Somebody does. And he said, Protestant. And I said, me too, what, what franchise, what denomination, right? And he said, Baptist, and I said, me too. It's weird. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? <laughs> and he said, Northern Baptist, and I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist, and I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region <laughs> or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. And I said, me too. And I said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 <laughs> or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the edge. <clears throat> I already apologized, okay? So forgive me and let's move on. <clears throat> but much of what the Apostle Paul is writing about in his epistles, if you actually go through and read, um, is about divisions in the church. And it's about a lack of unity and it's about a call to unity to the church. And if I can give us just a, a really a short recap of what's going on here to bring us up to speed, if, if you haven't been with us for a few weeks, Paul writes this letter to a group of churches in Galatia, and they're having trouble with these missionaries, is what they called them. And these were Jews who believed in Jesus, but they also still believed that you needed to adhere to the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, and that was mainly circumcision and food laws, and all that good stuff. And so Paul actually brings us back to the, the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 12, it says this. This is a, a paraphrase, but it says that basically God spoke to Abram before he was Abraham, before God changed his name. And he said, go from your country and go from your family and go to the land that I will show you. 
and I will make of you a great nation, and I'll make your name great, and, I, and, and through you I will bless the earth, all the nations. And so Paul is laying out a counter-argument against those who would kind of enforce laws. And he's, and he's coming back to say that righteousness was, was accounted to Abraham because of his faith. He was made right with the Lord. The law came afterwards. Faith came first. And so that kind of brings us into uh, our, our text this morning. I'm going to start in 19, verse 19. And Paul asks the question, and he says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of sin, right? The, the, the law was, was put in place to identify and to restrain, to tell us what sin is and how to stop, right? Uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is a, a brilliant author and thinker and theologian, he says this. He says, original sin is the only doctrine that's been empirically validated by 2,000 years of human history, right? And what that means is that there is evidence to show that there's something happening in the hearts of people all over the world. Something is wrong. Sin is a, a huge subject. Uh, sometimes we don't talk about it enough. It's, it's multidimensional. It's multifaceted. We could do an entire sermon series on it, um, but no one would come. Because it's not very fun to talk about. Theologians and scholars use this term uh, flattening out. And I'm not sure if you've heard anyone use that. But it's this idea of taking something that's actually pretty complicated. It's fairly complex. It's got a lot of different moving parts. Um, and basically taking all the complexity out of it and simplifying it, flattening it out. And there's a lot of reasons that, that people do this, and, and even sometimes the church has done this over the years, but the truth is it's, it's very counterproductive when talking about things like sin that actually are complex. It creates a, its own set of problems when we oversimplify things because simple messages carry massive implications sometimes, right? For instance, uh, the word love. Right? We use that for everything. Um, we use the word for animals. You probably have a dog that you love or a cat that you love. We use it for guns. This is America. There's probably some people in here that love your guns. Um, you might love fireworks, right? Um, you love your spouse. Those are not, hopefully, they're not the same type of loves. So let's talk afterwards if they are. The idea of gospel and salvation is, is another one that we sometimes flatten out into this getting saved so I can go to heaven, right, is a very oversimplistic thing that, that the scripture actually teaches, right? That there's, there's something actually in salvation for right now, for the kingdom, for, for the, the fruit of the spirit to be present in your life right now, not just something when you get to heaven but that his kingdom is actually established in you right now when you make that decision. You begin living eternally from that place. Right. Amen? Amen? But we've done the same thing with sin, and we're, we're, I'm, I'm getting to a point, I promise. We've done the same thing with sin many times, right? Is that we treat sin as, as a very personal thing. It doesn't affect anyone uh, but us or, or anything around us except for just us. The Bible says this, 
you know, the Bible says don't do this, but I, I did that, and so I need to say sorry to God. But the early church and what the scripture actually teaches are really different to that idea. And that's not to say that that idea is wrong, it's just flattened out. Sin is and was connected to idol worship. It wasn't just like, oh, you did something wrong. Yeah, you did. But you also gave your worship to an idol. You gave your worship to another god. And therefore, you empowered it. And sometimes we actually don't want to call habitual sin what it really is. But you've set something else up in the place of God and you've worshipped at that throne. Me too, bro. It's okay. You gave your worship to that thing and you've empowered it to such a degree that it actually now has a stronghold in your life. And, and it's, it's interesting over the years, I've, I've encountered many people. It's like two types of people. People that believe in, in all the things, right? God the Father, the Spirit, the, the Son, all, all that stuff. And it's like they don't believe in the devil. They don't believe in anything else that is actually in the Scripture. And then there's the extreme of that that thinks the devil is around every corner and behind everything. And it's like, you just made a bunch of bad decisions. You know? And that's hard to, to recognize sometimes. But the truth is, is that sin changes things. It changed everything. It changed our relationship with God. It changed our relationship with each other. God actually wanted relationship with us. If you remember this story, I'm sure many of you do. But he actually wanted friendship in the garden, the creation story. Uh, the scripture uses idioms. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but... Um, uh, an example of an idiom in the Bible is these two people knew each other, right? And it doesn't mean they were like handshaking friends, right? It means they, they knew each other, if you know what I mean, like wink, wink, like they knew each other. Some of you aren't getting it still, but that's all right. <clears throat> but one of the idioms that's used in the creation story is the idea of God walking in the garden, Right? He's walking in the garden, which is an idiom for friendship and relationship. God was looking to have relationship with us. And there's another idiom that's used, and that is nakedness. In that exact same story, and it's not about just being physically not clothed, right? It's about guilt. It's about shame, about proving myself. It's about this idea that I don't want you to see the real me, and I'm uncomfortable with myself, and I'm uncomfortable with you knowing things about me, right? So there's this idea that this is how our relationship has changed as people, is that there's a lot of fronts that we put up to kind of push people away, and we clothe ourselves in something. And what it comes down to is a fear of rejection, and so our identity was changed because our relationship with the one who actually gives identity was broken, and that was disconnected. And then if you remember later on in that story, he actually clothes the man and the woman with animal skins, and this is going to be important for us later on. And so as we kind of move through the text at hand, Paul goes on to describe the law and sin as this type of prison 
that Jesus has actually rescued us from in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. Amen? Jesus has, has broken the powers of the old age. Uh, we, I talked a little bit about that in the kickoff to this series. Um, he's rescued us from the present evil age, from our old selves, from old ways. And now we're actually living like a new creation. We're living a new life in Jesus. Amen? But we are also in this space of now and not yet. Now and not yet. I don't know if you've heard that before. But it's something that we recognize as truth. I know this is true, but there's times it doesn't seem true. There's times it doesn't feel true. Sometimes you don't feel like a new creation, right? And so we live in this space where the light hasn't fully overtaken the darkness yet. And Jesus is actually still making his enemies his footstool. And Paul connects our stories together, actually. And he connects these stories to Jesus. And he's using Genesis. He's using Deuteronomy and the story of Abraham. And I think one thing that we need to recognize about Scripture as we read is that it's not just a random collection of books. But it's a story about God's redemption plan for the earth. And we actually, as people, individuals in this room, as a church, you and I are actually a part of that story. And we have a part to play. We have a role to play in that story. And then in verse 26, he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Which might be weird to hear as a woman that you're a son of God. But it doesn't have anything to do with gender. But it has everything to do with the right to the inheritance. And that's because of our union with Jesus. And, and he, he's using language from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is in Deuteronomy 14. It says, For you are sons of the Lord your God, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And it is you... The Lord has chosen out of all the peoples on the earth to be his people and to be his treasured possession. Amen? That's you and I. That's people of faith that are sitting in this room right now. Our story has been connected to the story of Abraham. Out of all of the people on the earth because of our relationship with Jesus by faith, we've actually been brought to the story to carry his name to the world. And then in verse 27, as we keep moving through this, he says, For as many of of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you remember one of the things that we just talked about, right back in the garden, God clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins. And the early church had a, a practice in baptism Uh, of wearing significantly less clothing than we do now. And I'm glad that we do it the way that we do it. Just for the record, just throw that out there. But as they came out of the water, they were given new clothes. They were given white robes, white clothing, which was this allusion to being clothed with Jesus. Right? And so that that gives a little bit of a different meaning when, when Paul says, put on Christ. You have been baptized 
into Christ. And there's this mysterious union between us and between Jesus and, and us as a church. We, as a people, but you as an individual, have actually taken on a new identity. Amen? It's, it's a similar idea that we find in communion, uh, which just isn't purely symbolic, but it's dynamic. And what I mean by that is that something happens when we take communion together, right? If you've been in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Something dynamic happens. Something, the spirit is here and you can feel it. And I think it's because we all are, are there's a unison to it, but I think there's a recognition when you realize that, that Christians for 2,000 years, all over the planet, different races, different languages, all those things, have participated in what we're doing in that moment, that should really encourage you. That's a good feeling. It's not just us by ourselves, but it is, it is a whole church throughout history and all over the world. That's amazing. We're connected to that tradition, and we are actually adding faith to it by participating. Amen? When we sing together, we're talking about unity. When we sing together, sometimes we, we did this earlier, but we stop the music because it's just good for us to hear another person singing, right? And, and I, I don't mean just from the stage, obviously. That's amazing. We love that. Our worship team is fantastic. Something happens when we sing. I'm the worship pastor, so you know you're going to hear something about worship. Okay, sorry. It just comes with the thing. But something happens. Have you ever come into this place, and let's be real, you're like, I don't even know why I'm here right now. I don't want to be here. You, you can be, it's okay to be honest. Like, we're, we're talking about honesty here, right? You know, we don't need to put up a front. It's okay. You can... You can say, yeah, there's been times I've shown up. I didn't, didn't really want to be here, and that's okay. And then there was a person behind you that really wanted to be here, <laughs> right? There was a person behind you that, that exactly, there, that one guy, that one guy who was singing, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, right? And I'm, this is hypothetical, of course, but I'm guessing in that moment, you may have felt differently about why you were in church, right? There's so many things I could say. I could keep going about that, why it's powerful, why we need that revelation more and more, but it's because it unifies us. It brings unity to us. When we have, uh, hypothetically, you know, someone in law enforcement on this side of the room. Someone who's had a lifetime struggle with the law on this side of the room. <laughs> hypothetically. And they are both singing, how could I express all my gratitude? That's a sign that the kingdom of God has broken into our world. Put on Jesus. The world should be able to see that. The world is supposed to be able to identify us because of how loud we are on Facebook. 
Oh, I caught some of you slipping. <clears throat> no. The world is supposed to be able to identify us because of our love for one another. Our love for one another. And this all leads into the, the final section of this chapter, actually, which is revolutionary still to this day. It was controversial back then. It's still controversial now. But in 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And, and what he's laying out are, are three different things that shape the human experience. Your ethnicity, your social status, whether you're rich or poor, and your gender, you're a man or a woman. And these three things will inevitably shape how you see the world and how you see people, how you interact with people in the world. And since the beginning, these three things have been at war with each other. And they have brought divisions which have plagued our existence. Ethnic wars, gender wars, the rich versus the poor. And this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not what God intended for his people. And in Jesus, through the Spirit, we are empowered to do something different. We're empowered to reflect the nature and the character of God in everything that we do, in our relationships with other people, with him. See, the church is meant to be a prototype for a new creation and a new people. The church is a different kind of community. The church is built different, right? You're built different. We're supposed to be different. As individuals, you and I have been transformed, and the old things, the old identity has actually passed away. And we need to stop hanging on to it. We need to stop putting it back on like an old coat, like an old jacket. And we need to put on Jesus. Because the most important thing about you and myself, the most important identifying marker in our life is our identity in Christ. Amen? And that doesn't mean that we aren't proud of where we came from or who God has made us to be as individuals. It just means that our ultimate goal in life is to become more like Jesus. And that's the goal. And there's a new way to interact with each other. We are a family. We're also very different. <laughs> there's a whole spectrum of different thoughts and opinions on just about everything in this room. But we are family. We're unified by Jesus. We're unified by what he did on the cross. Amen? There will be disagreements. There have been disagreements probably, right? There might be heated arguments. There has been heated arguments. But the gospel is big enough. His spirit and his grace are strong enough for us, even as a very diverse people with all the thoughts and opinions in the world about everything, 
to come back to the table and maintain unity. Amen? What happened in the garden that broke our relationships, all our posturing, all the ways that we hide, has been made new again in Jesus. It's been made right. Unity is the work and the discipline of the family of God by the Spirit of God. Right? It's going to take a huge measure of the Spirit of His grace to maintain unity in any church. But it has to be maintained. You will need to be actively participating in that type of unity. And there's very few things that should break our fellowship as believers. Very few. And that's probably a whole different sermon. But we have the Spirit which will keep us coming back to unity because of Jesus and because what he's done. We are now free. You and I are free to lay down those rags, those old clothes, the old people, the old man that you are dressed up in to impress other people or hide from other people, and you're free to come as you are. Thank you, Lord. Put on Christ. That's right. Because we are together in this, yeah. and that's the truth. Yeah. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're all one in Christ. We see eye to eye. We're eye level, even though I'm standing up here. I get that. And so we've been given a new way to actually see each other and to treat each other. We are a family. And through this, this family comes blessing. I want to read this psalm. This is in Psalm 133. It's a song of ascents. It was written by David. And this is a song that pilgrims would sing as they would journey to Jerusalem to gather with their people, to worship, to do the feasts and all the things that they did. And it says this, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. The blessing that we've been given through unity can't stay here it can't stay with just us the the call is that we would bring what we have into the world that we would bring what we have into the nations that the kingdom would go into schools it would go into coffee shops restaurants workplaces it would go into other homes where people don't know the gospel they don't know that there's a different way to live and in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're going you're gonna to find really similar language. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave you, gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. It is part of our job. We've been given a ministry. You're a minister. 
I don't know if you knew that. I'm here to tell you that you are. You're a minister. And you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's part of our job to remind the people around us that they can actually be reconciled with God. And when that relationship is made right again, everything changes. Because we change. People change when you know your creator. When there's righteousness in place, everything changes. How you view yourself changes. How you view other people changes. We aren't just forgiven. We're actually made alive. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. You're made alive in Jesus. Amen. There is a a world looking for its people. And they're looking for family. And and I've, I've... I honor the the older generations that have gone before us. Um, We have so much to learn from people that have lived a lot longer. They've walked with Jesus longer. They've seen a lot of things. And so I like to ask questions. Probably I get annoying maybe a little bit sometimes, but I like to ask them questions. And and one of my questions is, do you remember a time when there was this much division? In the church, culturally, do you remember as just opinions? And so I've, I've heard a lot of opinions on, on things like that. And I can tell you that if I can just, it's, it's not a hot take, but I think people are looking for family. People are looking. There's so much division. There's so many um, polarizing ideas and, and ideologies and things like that out there. I think people... We are naturally just looking for a family. And we're looking in the wrong places, but we're looking for family. And in 29, he says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, then you are heirs according to promise. The inheritance is the Spirit, the Spirit produces unity and family. And that produces blessing. Sometimes, I, I, for myself, even as I prepare and, and kind of go through, I, I, I think those are all really good thoughts. But what is the practical outpouring of that look like? And, and so if I can just leave you with a couple of things. I don't know if we have a keyboard player here, but now is the time. Pursue the Spirit. If you don't know what that means, go get prayer at the cross at the end of the service. Come to Delene's class on Thursday night. They'll tell you what's up. If you're filled with the Spirit, if you already know exactly what I'm talking about, then pray that the Spirit will lead and guide you every morning when you wake up, before you go to work, before you go to school, before you hit the lake, before you go to your barbecue, whatever that might be. Seek unity. You're already here, which is amazing. You showed up to the gathering. 
even that small, that kind of small step is unifying. We're all here together. Add your faith to worship, add your voice. Seek family. Family is difficult. Family is, is hard. It's, it's hard to make deep relationships and deep connections with people, especially that are so different, right? There's a, said it again, there's a lot of different people in this room. But I think some practical steps. Join a small group, go to the men's group. There's a women's group. Join a team where you can serve. Call the office and see if there's, there's anything you can help with to just get around one another more. Amen? Is that okay? And then bless. Bless the people around you. Who do you see on a daily basis? Pray for them. Don't make it weird. But pray that God would open doors to actually talk. Listen to them. Maybe you need to do less talking. Maybe you just need to listen to somebody. And see the image of God in them. Amen. The inheritance is the spirit. The spirit produces unity in family. And that produces blessing.